I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy Halloween, Kiki! Happy Halloween Tuesday! Yes, this is the final episode of The Spooky Season, our Halloween-themed episode. And for our special Halloween episode, we are not alone. Will our mystery guest enter and sign in, please? Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Whitmire, and I am um, a comedy and horror musician, and I'm excited to be here tonight. Yeah, Jeff Whitmire, member of the Fump, very good mm-hmm. friends of ours. Yep. As a comedy musician, we've never had one of those on the show before. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we had one, though. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, as you said, yeah, you've you've kind of gotten into the horror over the last yep. uh, year or so. Yeah, and I've always been a huge horror fan. And uh, just a couple of years ago, it just kind of happened organically. Um, where I was kind of in a rough patch doing music in the middle of the pandemic and why am I doing this and everything. And uh, they released a movie called Host in the middle of the pandemic. And I said, well, if they can make that movie, then I, I have no excuse but to keep doing music. And I figured, well, if I'm going to go back, let's uh, kind of merge my two things. So, uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been primarily doing uh, funny horror songs. So this week, our movie is, of course, the 1980s classic starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Earth Girls Are Easy. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's later, yeah. later. We're doing that later. I think Lionsgate. Tra- Transylvania 65,000. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, they, they there's did, three of I, them. <laughs> yeah, there's three movies they did together in the 80s. Yep. Well, they were together at the time, so I understand that. Right. Right. Yeah. Of course, I think uh, I think Lionsgate owns uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, but I will check. <laughs> but uh, but we are doing the 1986 film The Fly, the remake of the classic 1950 um, 1958 horror movie. Help me! Help me! <laughs> and that, uh, also owned by Fox, so we we may revisit that uh, in a, oh, in a yeah. future Halloween. That one has uh, Vincent Price and, uh, interestingly, Betty Lou Gerson, Cruella DeVille herself, mm-hmm. is in that one, yeah. As a smaller role, but, you know, she she is in that for your Disney connection there. And, really, we're doing the 80s version of The Fly because that's the version we grew up with. And also, we're on a Jeff Goldblum kick. Yeah, we, we we did do uh, Thor Ragnarok not too long ago, so we're doing another Jeff Goldblum movie. <laughs> and it makes sense, too, because I think, um, I mean, these days, uh, a lot of times if you mention The Fly, I mean, I love the, the 50s version, but if you mention The Fly these days, I think most people, 9 out of 10, are going to be thinking of the 80s version, you know. Yeah. It, it so, really has captured the zeitgeist, I think, more so than the, than the 50s right, version. Right, And I mean, honestly, this kind of completes almost every kind of horror movie that you could get because we started out with 
you know, your 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 vampires and what we do in the shadows. We handled the comedy stuff really with tree, with the Treehouse of Horror episodes, a little bit of slasher with Jennifer's body, the psychological horror in the Omen, and now we get to body horror in the Fly. Right. Yeah, the master of body horror here was uh, Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. The, uh, this movie was the only one he ever got an Oscar for, though. For uh, makeup effects, yeah. Yeah. And well-deserved, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, especially the, the... I mean, we'll get to it, but the, the, the fly at the very end of the movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, um, I remember I, re- I was reading about this, and uh, when they first screen the movie like one of the first screenings um instead of having the cast come up they actually had the makeup credit come up first and the crowd exploded and one of the producers uh turned to the guy who did the uh um effects and he goes you're gonna win an oscar and he did (laughs) i mean that was that was very easy to predict yeah yeah so the uh the same guy that did the the effects um for for this um was the guy who did the uh face melting sequence in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. Oh. So yeah, same yeah. same dude. Uh so, you know, this that's that's where we're yeah. coming from. And and also he he worked on um, Gremlins yep. as well, so I mean, you know, guys, guys got the cred. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, I will drop this in now. This is a hard R movie. We are going to have a hard R conversation. So if you are one of our listeners that do listen to these episodes with your little ones, you might want to come back next week because yeah. This. So, this is this is not a discussion for for the little ones. I mean, seriously, it, 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 if the cameras in this movie were about uh, a half a foot in a different direction, we'd be seeing the full Goldblum and the full Gina Davis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, yes, if you listen to this with your with your little ones, we will talk to you next week. Everybody else, uh, strap in. <laughs> The first choice to uh, direct the movie was Cronenberg. Uh, I mean, that they wanted David Cronenberg immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly, David Cronenberg wasn't available because he was going to go work on a movie called Total Recall. <laughs> so they got another director, but the director that they got, unfortunately, uh had a an issue where that that director his family was vacationing in a different country and there was an accident that unfortunately took the life of his daughter Mm -hmm. and so that guy had to be like hey you know gotta gotta go be with my family can't do this movie and it turns out that in all of that happening uh some things had happened on Total Recall that led to Cronenberg being like, yeah, this is not the movie I want to make. Uh, peace out. And Total Recall was taken over by Paul Verhoeven. Um, this leads me to think 
Oh my god, what would Total Recall have been like if David Cronenberg oh. had made that movie? I mean, there was already body horror in Total Recall as it is, but just, uh, yeah, that would be a completely different movie. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, I was talking about this recently with someone, and I feel like um, we can get into this. There were a lot of strange choices that were going into this movie, who was going to be in it and who was going to make it. and um, would be a vastly different movie, both to fly and Total Recall, if things had worked out differently. I think the stars aligned to give us the, you know, the perfect movie with the fly. Because um, actually, I... I I, there's rumors that Tim Burton was going to step in to the fly, and Michael Keaton was going to play. It was my, Michael Keaton was going to play the Seth role, to be like a uh, the fly Batman actually. But yeah, <laughs> and and this is just a few years before Beetlejuice. Yeah, also starring Gina Davis. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the thing a lot of people forget is that the production company behind this film is Brooks Films. Yes. <laughs> Mel Brooks's company. Yeah. That Mel Brooks. <laughs> Although he actually, yeah, he didn't want his name on it because he thought it would uh, steer people away. Well, I mean, Brooks Films is still on there, but not Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see the name Mel Brooks, really. Right, um, right, but right. Brooks Films is is still the production company. So if you if you know Hollywood well enough, you're like, wait yeah. wait a minute, what? Well, my favorite <laughs> my favorite fact about The Fly is that Mel Brooks is actually the one that came up with the famous line, uh, because he was asked. Uh, there were some uh, um, actors and performers who were asking him, "How are we to react to the transformation scenes?" And he said, "Be afraid, be very afraid." Yeah. So the line, the famous line from this movie actually came from Mel Brooks of all people, which I think is really cool. The, and, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not even sure I've, I had heard that that story before. That's yeah. kind of really fascinating. The thing the thing about it to me is that we we see so often that the people who do comedy end up being really good at horror. And kind of vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean, speaking of, you know, the other fly film, I mean, Vincent Price was incredible at horror, at right. um, horror and comedy, uh, both. Um, so if you ever got to to see, you know, and we did Young Frankenstein last, last year, year, yeah. Um, and Mel Brooks was able to weave both of those uh together right those sensibilities to make a comedy movie but that drew from the you know and i know that jeff both you and i are are fans of jordan peele yes was (laughs) able to go from such a brilliant Mm -hmm. comedy career into a brilliant horror career three three of the best movies of the past you know five years yeah oh yeah and and not just the best horror movies but just three of the best movies oh easily yeah that have come out right and when asked about it he has spoken extremely eloquently about how comedy and horror really function on the same structure in the building of anticipation mm-hmm. and, you know, delivery of a punchline and delivery of a scare being almost exactly the same yeah. mechanic mm-hmm. in the end. 
And I find it really fascinating to listen to him break that down because they are almost identical. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so, aspect of it, yeah. yeah. So a lot of people, when, you know, when you don't understand that connection to be something like, wait, why is Mel Brooks producing a horror film or whatever? Um, it, it doesn't seem like it fits, but when you understand the mechanics of it, you're like, oh yeah, no, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Right. <laughs> um, and to find out how good a lot of comedic actors are at horror or horror actors are at mm-hmm. comedy, um, also makes perfect sense to. I feel to like there's it. always kind of been that part of it too. I was just thinking about this cause I was watching uh, Jaws the other day with my kids. If you, anyone knows me, I'm a huge shark movie fan. And of course, Jaws is the OG. So, um, but even it's like, even just so, cause Spiel, Spielberg was good at this too. Cause within the first five minutes of Jaws, you have the guy like having trouble taking off his clothes. And it's actually a really funny scene. So, um, directors do find those ways to sneak the humor into the terrifying. Cause of course everything that happens after that scene is, is frightening. So, but there is sort of a marriage there. I, I definitely, I agree with you. I agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of the reasons why, Goldblum kept, you know, kind of he popped in and out in the 80s and 90s in these horror movies is because he was so good at weaving the comedic into the horror and he does it in the fly so well of that he's one of, so one of the disarming parts of Jurassic Park too. Yeah, and and Jurassic Park and you know, he's so disarming in especially as Seth Brundle. Mhm. That he starts out as this, you know, kind of goofy, eccentric scientist. And by the end of it, you are terrified of this man. Um, So he's he's great at at kind of crossing those those lines throughout the movie. So he was a perfect choice. And I don't you know, when you talk about other people that was done, I I heard it was also. they had approached um, John Lithgow, but you know, I, I think he could have maybe done a, a similar job, but I think right. that as far as far as being the kind of eccentric who it could be frightening, you know, I mean, go watch John Lithgow and Dexter. Good. Yeah. Please. Right. Um, raising but, the yeah. Oh, well yeah but um i found that that dexter turned to be just exceptional yeah. i think that that you know Je- jeff goldblum hit the perfect beat of he's quirky and then he gets like really sexy for a bit <laughs> and then he gets just absolutely terrifying and then he just gets like really sad and empathetic, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's such a really roller coaster transformation. So yeah, his his arc from the beginning to the end of this movie is incredible. Yeah, um, uh, and when what the what the what the effects of the experiment did to him. Yeah, and I I I really hesitate to to think of anybody else in this particular role. Have you heard any of the other people that turned it down before this that were actually offered it? I mean, the ones you've mentioned and and Lithgow, uh, I think, are kind of. There's also uh, also um, Mel Gibson was offered it and turned it down. 
I don't. I mean, I know he can. I mean, he can do it because of. Uh, I mean, I've seen Lethal Weapon, but I don't know if he could have pulled pulled this off. Right. I'm not sure. I'm, uh, yeah. Well, another Richard Dreyfus that could, you know, and also James Woods were all offered it and turned it down. But, um, you know, and I could see different takes on the movie. But like I said, I felt like this was a perfect storm because now that we have Jeff Goldblum and the fly, I just can't see it any other way. I just, it's, yeah. To yeah. me, he's the perfect person for this role. And we have to talk about how they changed the story. Yeah. Because the, the 1958 film really went for just a direct interpretation of the original short story. Right. Um, because these are both based on a short story. This is getting close to an in-name-only adaptation. Right. There's you teleporters, know, this, this there's a guy that transports with a fly, and that's kind of where the story ends. The similarities end. Right. Except for the the mutation of the, the fly is uh, so so different in the original story. It's just that one of his arms and his head kind of gets swapped. Yeah. It's not like a, a fusion of DNA. Yeah, it was just it was it, basically he straight up he was a fly in the first yeah. one, whereas it's the, a, he became a combination. The closest, I mean, at least for more contemporary viewers, would be the Simpsons version of the fly, which is yeah. more closer to the original film. Yeah. Right. Um, but it just it's more a murder mystery the first one. And it's a lot of a woman sitting in a room freaking out anytime she hears a fly bus. <laughs> it's like 90% of the first film um, is just, you know, a, a woman sitting in a really nice, quote unquote, insane asylum going like, did you hear the fly bus? Wait, catch mm-hmm. that fly. Don't harm it. Wait. You know, because it, it could possibly still be her husband, you know. Um, and... You know, then then it's just the mystery of like, why is this woman obsessed with flies all of a sudden? Right. Uh, but this is just like, well, what if a man and a fly got fused together, and you watch him slowly lose his humanity while becoming a more and more grotesque thing, which is less a murder mystery about what happened to a guy and isn't it sad and more an existential crisis Kafka-esque nightmare. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of, I kind of prefer this version because I think it's a little more horrific. Supposedly, Jeff Goldblum wrote a letter to Vincent Price when mm-hmm. the film came out. Yeah, yeah. That said, like, that invited him to go see an early screening or something. Yeah, he had said he loved his version and he hoped Price would love his. <laughs> yeah, and apparently Vincent Price did send some sort of letter back or something and said, I, I thought it was charming up to a point and then it went too far. <laughs> 
Um, I'm kind of wondering which part of this movie Vince Yeah, like, did he make it past the arm wrestling scene? And then, yeah, and right. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I, I also wondered that. I was like, what, right. what exactly what, is. What the, was the Vincent Grace's threshold in this movie? <laughs> yeah, what, where, where exactly was the line for Vincent Price? So it's, I would desperately love to know that. <laughs> right. Um, they. Uh, Having having heard having heard various stories about Vincent Price, yeah, <laughs> that, that is a thing that I would, I would I would love to know. I mean, he's the he's a master of horror. He's one of the he's one of the icons. But uh, I mean, his movies were definitely far more tame than what they were putting out in the eighties. So it might have been a little bit of a culture shock to him. I just want to say that Howard Shore did not have to go as hard as he did on the score. <laughs> But he did that for us, right, and I right. think we need to bow Thank down. You, Thank you, Howard Shore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because this score goes so absolutely right. balls to the wall. <laughs> and well, and there's a story that uh, uh, Mel Brooks, because Mel Brooks was actually more involved, I think, in the film than you'd expect, given what it was about. But I guess he was uh, watching uh, a cut with Cronenberg. And there was one section where, you know, Seth's just walking down the street, and the music is blasting, like, Shore is cranking it up, and and Brooks even asked him, like, why is the score doing this? Why is it like this when he's just walking down the street? And Cronenberg actually said, no, he's walking to his destiny. So, like, it it, it was all very intended, but I, I agree. I think I think what they did with Shore's score was not conventional by any means, but it worked a lot. Yeah, because there are points in this movie where where suddenly you're just like... Oh my God! Why am I so hype right now? <laughs> Nothing is going on, but I just want to get up and run right. around the room. Right. And and that is absolutely one hundred percent to you know. And of course, can we maybe just um think that this might be the the thing that got him the job on Lord of the Rings? Because you oh, know Peter yeah, Jackson's yeah. such a horror freak that he right, was probably like, right. who am I going to get to score Middle Earth? I know the guy that did The Fly. That's yeah, and I, can't, I have to assume <laughs> The Fly was an inspiration for like Jackson's early stuff, like Dead Alive and Bad Taste. And, um, oh, yeah. yeah I, could, no. I, could definitely, I could definitely see that having been in the back of his mind, yeah. If yeah, like score, some, yeah, some of the stuff in like you know Feebles and and Dead Alive right, and stuff right. is like so very like I don't want to be David Cronenberg. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can just feel that. So you had to know that like somewhere in the back of his mind was like I really want to work with the guy who did the fly. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about our kids. We've t- we've talked about Jeff Goldblum before. He's A Jeff lot. Goldblum. <laughs> I mean, he's Jeff Goldblum. He's Jeff Jeff Goldblum. If you don't know who Jeff Goldblum is, I'm sorry. (laughs) If I if I if I just look in one direction right now in the room I'm in, there's a sexy Jeff Goldblum Funko Pop just hanging out. (laughs) There's some sexy Jeff Goldblum in this movie. There all there is, yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's that's maybe why I loved this movie as a kid. There there's some gooey Jeff Goldblum, but there's also some sexy Jeff Goldblum. Of course, Gina Davis. There's as, some sexy Gina Davis in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, as I said earlier, shift that camera about a foot the other direction. You're yeah. seeing everything. Yep. 
And of course, at the time, uh, as I mentioned before, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were a couple. So they would work together. They were to, as uh, as Jeff mentioned, they were together in three films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, she's Gina Davis. She's yeah. Well, Gina Davis wasn't the first choice either for the fly. I don't believe, but uh, Jeff was like, "I'm going to be in this. Let's keep this going." I mean, we we worked we worked together before, <laughs> and so he he pushed hard for Gina to be in it. And I guess uh, she did come in and audition, and that was it for Cronenberg. He's like, "Yeah," and then they. They auditioned people after her, and he said nobody even came close to what she was bringing to the film. I don't want to act like there's a reason for her not to be in this movie. She absolutely kills it in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm not going to uh, sit there and, and undersell it there. But um, she is just so good in this and i mean you can see this was this was so near the beginning of her career though right um and you can see that beginnings of where she would end up there is a lot asked of her emotionally in this film and she delivers every second of it. So I think knowing where her career would kind of end up after this. Right. I mean, Thumb on Louise, League of Their Own. Yeah. Cutthroat Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to get that dig yeah, in yeah. there. Too, too. <laughs> too. You couldn't just let it be. You couldn't Why just Why is that the like, only reaction to Cutthroat Island ever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was easy for me watching this to to go like all right she's she's you could see where she was gonna have that career Mm, yeah um because this is such an odd movie and half the time it's like she's she's acting opposite all of that heavy grotesque makeup jeff goldblum you know yeah yeah and that can be difficult you know most of her like more difficult emotional scenes are opposite that so i i know how weird and off-putting that probably was for someone just starting their career but bravo to her for absolutely meeting that challenge mm-hmm. john gets his staff is borans uh the X, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm gonna get it. We'll get into it when we get into this into the actual story. But I really only know him from this movie, honestly. <laughs> well, he's he's one of those that he's one of those that's like the hey that guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen him in so many other things, but it's always in the like oh hey yeah you know, like he does hey, have it's a the guy. Kid. It's the guy from The Fly too. <laughs> he does have a Disney connection because he was in Xenon the sequel. Which we oh, haven't gotten yeah. to yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean he he's also in like um the social network and then yeah. I saw him in um Trumbo, which is yeah, really was good. It, was in Zodiac. And, yeah, and um Curly Currently Sue. in Doom in Doom Patrol. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, you know, um, he's he's all he's always there. He's he's in you know uh, shows up in Better Call Saul, which I'm going through right now. You know, American, American Horror Story. He was in Apocalypse. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know he he keeps popping up in stuff that that I watch, but right. it's never it's never like huge roles where I'm yeah, like, like you said, oh, he's kind of like the oh that guy role, yeah, yeah. But he's always good. I yeah. mean, you know, I I won't knock the guy. You know, he's a good solid actor that you know, I'm I'm never like. Oh, him again. You know, it's always like, oh, hey, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always pleased to see him. So, uh, but yeah, you always do kind of think of him as like, oh, it's that dick from the fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is the role where I first he first clicked in my brain. Right. It, it, and there's always going to be that role for an actor, you know, I, I mean, it just you can't help it. Oh yeah. Unless they're like the biggest of huge stars where it just kind of it disconnects and you're like, okay, yeah. you know, I recognize them outside. As, well, like uh, you know, Bruce Campbell. I mean, he's been in so much stuff, but I, yeah. I, I see. I hear. I hear Bruce Campbell, and I obviously think Ash. Um, yeah. You know, it's just one of those roles, kind of. But also, he's just Bruce Campbell. You know, he well, that's just, true. That's you true. know, it's yeah. it's you know. Um, or Jeff Jeffrey Combs for me, you know, is like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, he's always playing oh, he bit parts, but just, you know, it's it, it's just Jeffrey Combs because yeah. I love him so much. But most most who actors, was also in a Peter Jackson film. Oh yeah, no no no, um, that's how I knew Peter Jackson. Honestly, is right. like I knew him because it was just I was going through Jeffrey Combs filmography, yeah. and then they were like, hey, there's some guy who's gonna direct lord of the rings we've never heard of him before and i'm like right. the guy who directed the jeffrey combs movie yep. <laughs> like, oh did you watch the, did it. you watch the jeffrey combs shark movie because that's that one's a trip oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know me you've met oh, yes, me yes. <laughs> um that's why yeah. i always like to mention the people and they're like i'm sorry the what <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but the you know my point being you know that there's there's always going to be that that role you you know an actor from and and for John Getz it's always going to be he's always going to be the douchebag from from the play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um really there are not a lot of parts in this movie that you got the the main three characters, right. you got a I few mean, side yeah. actors and then you've got David Cronenberg showing up in a guest spot. And at the and right at the end of the movie as the gynecologist Mm-hmm. Well, well, he's the gynecologist that's in the dream sequence, so you don't really see his face because he's got the mask on, but he's right. the one that, that, you know, brings out the sort of maggot, you know, creature. Hmm. Apparently um, that happened because when Scorsese met Cronenberg, uh, he said he reminded him of a doctor. Huh. So I guess if Scorsese says, you know, something, you kind of, you kind of go with it. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he he put himself in the movie. Yeah, that's very Hitchcockian of him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that going from the beginning of the film and then going to the end of the film, how essentially how Brundle and Stathens kind of switch roles. Yeah, because at because at the beginning of the movie, Brundle is this you know socially awkward scientist. He's trying to hit on Ronnie and 
and he's kind of like you know the, the the good guy boyfriend and Stephens is the asshole ex-boyfriend who just happens to be her boss right and who gets <clears throat> insanely jealous when he finds out that oh she's sleeping with the 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 magician as he calls him Mm-hmm. And then by the third act, Brundle has completely lost his humanity. He's all, uh, uh, you know, I have to f- make this 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 experiment. I'm going to merge us and Ronnie and the baby. And right. and it, it's kind of Stathens, you know, Stathens is the one that takes Ronnie to 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 the doctor and kind of c- kind of saves the day at the end. Right. I mean, he's still an asshole. Stathens is still an asshole throughout the entire movie, but mm-hmm. he, that role change, that 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 heel face turn, that double turn, as we call him yeah, the wrestling right. business. Is it really that he's changed that much, or is it just by default? Yeah, default. I like would say. you know, Seth has lost so much of his humanity that even the douchebag is the the sane option by default right That's which is which is scenario. terrifying yeah because i don't really think he's changed that much personality wise because his core values if you want to call them that have still kind of remained consistent in the fact of she's like well i'm pregnant and he's immediately like well we got to get that thing out of you Right. Yeah. You know, which and is, and like his motivations for the end, I don't know if they're necessarily. I'd, I'd say they were good. I mean, he had an excuse to show up and save the day, but he could have taken Seth out in the process, you know, which is I think the plan. Well, yeah. I mean, in the end, it is. Yes, it ends up being a good thing because he does end up saving Ronnie, but. It's also just kind of like, hi, I'm here to be the hero white knight and take out my romantic rival and get my girlfriend back and get rid of the, my rival's child. And you know, like, I mean, yes, it seems the heroic thing to do because of what Seth has become. But honestly, had Seth not transformed, he probably would have kind of still done the same thing, possibly minus possibly, the shotgun. Possibly, maybe, yeah, right. Yeah. Still being and afraid, I only say to... possibly minus the shotgun. <laughs> possibly. Because you would kind of see him yeah. showing up with the shotgun uh, anyway. No, I carry this everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just in the trunk of my car. Why do you I'm, ask? Uh, I never, I never break into a random lab without my shotgun. <laughs> I mean, this is the guy who breaks into her apartment at the beginning of the movie right. to take a shower. And when she says, give me my apartment key back, he says, no, nah, I think I'm going to keep it. Yeah. I mean, that is go to the cops, Ronnie. Right. I mean, it's the 80s, so they're probably just going to be like, well, you gave him the key. Well, Ronnie makes I- some questionable choices throughout the film, so... <laughs> I mean, I mean, herself, she herself one. admits this very early yeah, on in the right. movie that she ate that she makes questionable life decisions and is incredibly lazy. Yeah. So, like, I mean, even in 2022, that's the same scenario, Kiki. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, 
you know. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, cops and and domestic abuse and and stuff not really a great fit, but the the problem being like legally speaking, if she is the one on the lease of that apartment or the owner of that apartment and she says give me back my key, you know, give her back her key. And then he he publicly embarrasses her at the clothing shop. Yeah. And, you know, he does the thing where he he threatens her and Seth with the cover of the magazine. Which is why she leaves. And I'm not saying Seth handles this well, because, you know, own your own shit here, Seth. Mm-hmm. But that is the inciting incident that leads to him getting drunk and getting in the machine in the first right. place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not blaming Ronnie for that. You know, that's Seth's issue. But the fact that, you know... Stathis or whatever the hell his name is. That's a stupid name, by the way. Change your name. Your name is dumb. <laughs> um, it's it's the name of a douchebag. Like, don't date that guy. <laughs> that that guy has a dumb name. Uh, but anyway, uh, the fact that Stathis has sent that as a direct threat, like, you know, come negotiate. And his negotiation is. Okay, you can date him, but come see me for casual sex on the side. Right. Yeah. Or I'll publish this and yeah, ruin his career and yours because his career depends on this staying secret until he perfects the technology. Right. To to protect his his you know his, his design. Yeah. You know. Well, that, um, that's uh, you know why he goes into the panic mode and he's saying, okay, well I'm gonna prove this thing works, you know, in his drunken state and. Well, he doesn't yeah. know what the what the the problem is he thinks that she's going off to see her ex-boyfriend i mean right. it's it's yeah. very much a personal thing yeah but the he just wants to prove he's the big swinging dick with the smarty smart brain you know right but stathis really is trying to ruin seth's life on a professional level i mean this could cost him everything if he publishes that article so right. it's not an empty threat. I mean, this is a massive deal because Seth tells Ronnie at the beginning of the movie, like, you cannot publish this. It will ruin me. Right. You know, I brought you into this because I trusted you to stay and document the story until it's ready for publication. You know, he was taking a risk on her. Right. Because he liked her, let's be real. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's, I mean, yeah, right. it's true. I, I'm not saying that, that he probably wasn't, you know, thinking with the wrong brain there, but <laughs> that was his thing. I, I was taking a risk that you would, one, believe me, because really, Stathis had the right idea. Because when I first watched this movie, even as a kid, I was like, yeah, I've seen that magic trick before. Right. If I was that girl and he was like, oh, look, your stocking went into this cabinet and reappeared in that cabinet. I would have been like, I've seen I've seen the cabinet trick before. (laughs) Like, right. That is a mainstay of illusion magic. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But he was he was hoping that she would, you know, 
understand and and go with it. Um, so the fact that Stathos was like, I will ruin your boyfriend, or you can pay me in sex, right, is one of the most disgusting things. It's just full on blackmail, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, there are. No good guys here, except for maybe Ronnie, who just has really shitty taste in men. Right. Yeah. One thing that no one ever brings up, and I, I, I really didn't never thought about it until doing this rewatch. Okay, he goes um well, after when when all of this happens, and Seth goes into the teleporter. I'm gonna prove this works, and out of his, he's drunk and doing all of this, and the fly comes in, and all that stuff happens. He gets a complete 180 personality change. Right. You know, he goes from being this socially awkward guy to suddenly he's talking loud in restaurants. He's going out with other women. Blah, blah, he's a gymnast. Blah. He's a gymnast now. Does that have anything to do with the fact that he had alcohol in his system? No. And I never thought about this till actually watching this uh watching this again. Because yes, the fly is influencing something. But he also had alcohol in his system, right? Which is now, for lack, because of the way the the the, the technology works, that is now a permanent part of its body at a molecular level. Tell me that out because because when you're drunk, your personality is altered anyway. Maybe that played a role in the his personality uh, changes after the transformation. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's certainly something I I had never considered. I I always took it to be that his personality became very, for lack of a better uh, term, because flies are very, you know, they're very fast. Right. So everything he does tend tended to be a, after that point very much urgent because a fly has such a short lifespan mm-hmm. comparatively. So and flies was, are strong for what they are like, well, yeah, what they're able to I mean, there. They actually are able to lift things that theoretically maybe they shouldn't. So there's that side of it too. And they are agile and you know, they're, they, they, um, so I mean, the, the, the gymnast side of things, it works for Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But also, you know, he immediately, you know, they, they do the thing with the sugar, right. you know, him, him putting all the sugar in the coffee and then immediately wanting, you know, bakery items and, you know, right. he's eating cannoli and donuts and stuff like that immediately and stuff. But it always struck me as, well, if your lifespan is only you know what a couple of weeks a month or whatever the lifespan of fly is it's just kind of like oh my god i'd want to do things now i want to do all the things now i've got to i've got to do things now i've got to you know eat and mate and you know whatever you know whatever a fly would find important right um right now all of it now 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 so that to me seemed like what he was doing. Like I have to perpetuate my species and his species is now Brundlefly. Right. 
So that's why he's immediately going out and being like, no, you've got to get into the teleporter. It's going to make you feel... Because even though he doesn't understand what happened to him, he knows that whatever happened to him is because of what happened in the, the teleporter. Right. So he's like, you know, he starts out with Ronnie and then Ronnie's not down for it. So he goes out and he finds the other girl yeah. in the bar during that amazing arm wrestling scene, which is just oh, yes, every yes. time you watch it, you just go like, oh, my God, no, this is the worst cringe in the movie. Uh, Shudder is currently doing uh, a weekly 101 scariest movie moments and uh, the fly showed up and I, you know, I expected the end or I expected the, the, um, the vomiting sequence sequence or something. No, they went with the arm wrestling one. They're like, <laughs> it's, it's so like, that's one, that's one scene that I think anyone you're, you're going to, you're going to wince every time you watch it. Cause well, it's yeah, so cause you're probably, yeah, you're probably <clears throat> never going to be in a situation where a hybrid man fly vomits on your leg. and You'd be you know, surprised at how often it happens. But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, maybe, just, maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I mean, me personally, maybe. I, ran, I actually bumped into one at the grocery but, store the other day, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, we got into yeah. a little fight over the sugar, actually. But I, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you know assume no it's I, it's i mean i've i've gotten over it it's all it's yeah, good it, we're, yeah, yeah so okay. thank you though i appreciate that i i, I mean I, just I'm, my, my arm my arm is healing it's yeah uh i i would say that that i i i fear on a daily basis more you know <laughs> by my 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 arm being snapped into yes, yes. by random occurrence that's a hell of an effect too such yeah, a, it's yeah. such a good, uh, such a good uh, special effect, you know, makeup effect there with the the arm. Although you kind of do like the, you do get a little bit of a Schadenfreude for the guy, you know, who's like, yeah, you know, right. whatever, I can take Jeff Goldblum because you're kind of still on Seth's side at the time. Yes. Like you know that things are going bad, but when you first watch the movie you're not aware of how bad things are going right. yet. I mean, you've so had clues at that like, point that the, the hairs and uh, um, obviously his behavior changes. So there's red flags, but yeah, you're yeah. still, yeah. you're still like, Oh, this is still sexy. Jeff Goldblum. I'm yeah, still, right. I'm still vibing with him, you know? <laughs> so like yeah. when he shows up in the bar and he's like, I can take you in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> I sure hope he never like, changes from this. He'll be, <laughs> yeah, and, and everything, you know, like the other guy's like, no, shut up, Jeff Goldblum. You're like, yeah, you take him, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. You break his arm, <laughs> you know, like you're right. You're still kind of on his side. Uh, so even though it's an absolutely horrific moment, the first time you watch the movie, you're like, yeah, that's what you get for talking to Jeff right. Goldblum like that. <laughs> 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 and just casually putting his girlfriend on the line in, in, in the uh, in the arm wrestling match. Right. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, you're kind of like, well, I'm not liking that you're cheating on Ronnie, but also it's Jeff Goldblum in the 80s and Jeff Goldblum in the 80s can totally get it. So, right. <laughs> you're kind of OK with I mean, Jeff Goldblum now can totally get it. So I'm not. Really oh yeah, saying. yeah, that, that, but, has not, that hasn't changed at all. <laughs> that that has not changed in the slightest. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, you're still kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't know to, to take her back, see if Ronnie's down for. Her. 
<laughs> for it, but the um, the the spoiler: the, Ronnie was not down for it. Yes. <laughs> spoiler alert: Ronnie was not as cool as we hoped Ronnie was going to be about this. But yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing is is that you know Seth in his early Brundlefly stages is just desperately trying to find a mate. I mean, this is right. early Frankenstein's monster here. Right. It's just like, hi, I am the first of my species. I, I need a bait. He's you not know? thinking of the importance of monogamy at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well. I mean, he, he, he straight up says it. If you don't if you don't want to be part of, as he said, the dynamic duo, I'll find someone who will. Right. Yeah. 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 And and that's that's what he's that's all he is. And it's it's a really interesting kind of biological imperative because he does not yet realize that he is a new species. Right. But genetically he does. Right. That, you know, I, well, it's I, not, it's actually, it's not, I mean, it's not too long after the sequence and events that that finally becomes clear where he, where he does do the research and follow up and he's like, Oh, that's what happened. But yeah. Well, um, and it is, it is Ronnie that, that triggers that realization. Right. She's like, you know, Hey, I I trimmed your gross back hairs, <laughs> and I took them to a lab because that's what girlfriends do, apparently. Also, you had fingernails before. Something's going on. Yeah, yeah, you're you're now starting to shed bits of you that maybe you shouldn't be <laughs> shedding. So, <laughs> I mean, trimming your nails is one thing; biting right. them completely off, mm-hmm. not not great. <laughs> You know, the 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 moment where she I mean, what leads you to go like my my boyfriend is growing hair, I'm gonna take it to a lab and have them genetically analyze yeah, it for, right. for DNA. I mean I I get that this is a, a weird situation, but that's yeah, that's yeah. a bit of a leap. <laughs> um see now I could see like Dana Scully doing that though. Well, yeah, but this if is we're, just... if we're in the X Files universe, like I could see her going, hey, you know what? I'm gonna have this checked out. But yeah. but also she just has like access to an FBI lab. I mean, right, where did right. Ronnie I mean, she's got, go she's, for this? Right. Well, and, she's like, a journalist. She might have connections. That's true. Yeah, she I might mean, she might know a lab or two. I don't know. It was it just that seems a little weird to me. I've always kind of wondered. The other thing I've always wondered is where the hell is Jeff Goldblum getting all these baboons? <laughs> I mean, he is like, working with a he is working with a, a research facility that is providing him funding. Well, yeah, but but he always says like they've never put together what he's working on. So he's like, you know, I just asked for you know a laser and some computer mm-hmm. chips, and that you know they they know I'm working on like some vague computer stuff, but they never ask. Don't you think they're going to start asking where he's like, and I need like six live baboons. <laughs> uh, there's actually uh, on the, the DVD, point. there's a deleted scene where uh, I, I kind of wish they would have kept it in, but I see, but there was actually a deleted scene where there's a, a first creature made. He actually does form a hybrid uh, fusion of a baboon and a cat. Which is and, from the original film, right? Yeah, the, and the it's, so it's uh, and they, so they did actually do that scene in the movie, and he's running around the lab, you know, beating this thing, and yeah, but uh, um, yeah, so it wasn't there, but apparently, I, from what I understood, the baboons that they used to film were 
uh, pretty aggressive because baboons are okay or can be aggressive. But uh, apparently, again, Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum was able to keep him calm. Well, I mean, it's Jeff Goldblum. And that's what I think. If, Just... There's something magical about this human. I, I don't know what it is, but but they said, yeah, they said if Jeff Goldblum hadn't been working with the baboons, they probably would have they probably would have wreaked havoc. Yeah, I mean, I love how much of just, like, random bits of Jeff Goldblum got worked into this movie. <laughs> like, you know, like the scene at the beginning where he's just like, hey, wander into my apartment and let me explain my experiment to you. But first, <laughs> some jazz piano. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is no reason for that to be in the movie other than just Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Which he actually played too. Well, yeah, I know one of our <laughs> one of our mutual friends that we all know just recently got to sing with Jeff Goldblum right on stage, and we are all super duper jealous of her. Oh, I know who that was. Yes. Yep. Yes. And uh, right. so, yeah, it's it's not like we're all super duper jealous of you, sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, we we're in. Yeah. We, we love yeah, her and we that's... stand her, but <laughs> it's not like we're, we're jealous. <laughs> we're, yeah, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> not at all. No, none of us are sitting around going like, eh, you wish that oh, no, jealous. I'm not. I'm not at all thinking about how cool it would be to sing with Jeff Goldblum. That's no, no. I have a list of songs <laughs> I would love to sing with Jeff Goldblum. Uh, no, that's. That's a, uh, but I just love that moment in the movie where I was just like, and uh, you know, right. when you, when, when you first watch the movie, like if you don't know the background of that, you're just like, why is, why is uh, that it's, there? It's, like, it's, it's, it's to show a very clear arc because you notice he doesn't play piano after he turns into a, a hybrid. Well, um, he doesn't re- play piano after that scene. And, it's well, and, the, and, the, and the reason does. for that is, is flies aren't known for playing piano. So they wanted to show very clear. Well, yes. I mean, very clear that. delineation between right. humans right. that can that's, play that's, piano That's the behavioral change because cannot, I've, yeah. I've not, my, um, I've never seen a fly play Chopin. So I'm just assuming that they're the not. The flies in your house don't just sit down at your keyboard and play piano. They, I mean, no, mine no, they, are known never, for ragtime concerts personally. No, but no. Damn. No. Damn. The silverfish plays some mean chopsticks, but not the flies. I mean, okay. I mean, maybe I just don't have enough silverfish in my house, but the, the house I, flies are just oh, constantly yeah, right. getting down. I don't know. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. But the, the, the thing is, is I just always, uh, thought this, this movie was the first time I ever saw a, a real life person bring up the, I have the same outfit multiple times in my closet that had already yeah. always been a cartoon thing to, to me until this movie. And then I right. saw it in this movie and I was like, see, I'm always jealous of cartoon characters when they do that. And yeah. now here's like a real person doing that. And I, mean, I he- was so jealous. And then they made it a point of like personal growth that she got him a different outfit, and I'm like, no, you've ruined it. I mean, he right, looks hot right. in that leather jacket, but you've kind of ruined it because I was like, man, that is cool as hell. I just want like six of the same outfit. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't change Seth. He'll do that himself. Yeah, I mean, he'll do that himself. <laughs> I do it's like an his accident. reasoning. His reasoning, you know, like like, well, I don't have to think about what to wear every day. I can just pick a pick the next one on the rack, which he does say in Jurassic Park too. Yeah, I and I was like, that's just, you know, 
uh, that that was always my reasoning. I was like, that right, just yeah. seems so easy. I don't have to think about coordinating an outfit. Right. It's just you have like an outfit. It looks good on you. You don't have to think about it. I'm still trying to do that as an adult. I've sort of gotten it down. It's I'm 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 almost there. <laughs> I'm getting closer and closer to my dream of just having like one outfit that looks good <laughs> on me in multiples. Uh. So uh, let's actually talk about what this movie is known for, what Cronenberg is known for, the actual body horror. The, you know, he uh, throughout the movie, Brundle is, is chewing on his fingernails, and when he does, they come off, and he's ripping each and every fingernail mm-hmm. off. Oh, oh. That is, even now, it's still kind of, knowing that's a special effect, but still kind of, yeah. Get, Gives me this shake. Gives me shakes. And then like the, his, the one that got to the, me was was when his teeth started to fall out right. on the keyboard. Yeah, because he's chewing on a pen because he can't chew on mm-hmm. his fingernails anymore. Right. Oh, and then uh, obviously the infamous vomiting scene when he starts vomiting on his food. Oh, and the, before but, he eats and you know that's this movie. Is how I learned how flies eat. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I had never heard the, that. The enzyme, uh, digestive enzymes, yeah. Yeah. And after that, I was just like, okay, flies can never land on anything ever again. Mm-hmm. Go away. You're disgusting and I hate you. I mean, flies mostly eat poop anyway, so. <laughs> But for me, it was like the the ear when his ear falls off. Yes. Like, oh my goodness, Ronnie! What a freak you are! Because like his ear falls off, and she's just like, "Oh, you poor baby, let me hug you." <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, Ronnie, can you maybe not hug the gross man who just had his ear fall off?" Gina Davis's initial reaction to the ear falling off was actually unscripted. That was how she reacted to that scene, and Cronenberg kept it in. Her initial reaction was to hug him. Was <laughs> well, no, her, her initial, like, the initial, like, Ew. shock at first, but then, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, um, Mel Brooks did, uh, like, there again, hit and, and jump again. He told Cronenberg, go as far as you want to with this. Even if it's a line too far for Vincent Price. Even, even you if it's go too as far, far as you want You, to. yep. <laughs> you go there, man. I mean... You know, this this is the guy who had done scanners, so yeah. I mean, he's done head explosion, so he's gonna go there. <laughs> I mean, we we the do brood. get the head explosion <laughs> in this movie. Well, like, yeah, eventually, yeah, we we have a head explosion. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's just, it, and then that 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 museum of discarded body parts in his medicine in his medicine cabinet there, just, right. Um, yeah. That, that is such an interesting thing of, like, why, why was he keeping that? Some semblance of his humanity, I guess. He may not have humanity in him, but he's got parts of his humanity that he can hold on to. And Plus, since teleporting out, he's gotten a little bit more narcissistic, like, you know the 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 Brundle Museum of body parts. So you think they're like trophies, yeah? 
yeah he's yeah and also you know let's change this this documentary about the telepods to a documentary about me and well how right. how brundlefly exists how brundlefly right. eats and you can show it to children i mean in a way he's not entirely wrong i mean he's entirely wrong about maybe the kids although kids love disgusting things but the idea of documenting the first of a new species well that's what a scientist would think absolutely fascinate scientists i mean yeah right right um can can you imagine what a scientist would do to you if you were like yeah i had a new species right Right. at my fingertips and i didn't even take a picture yeah Yeah. even though the experiment ultimately was a mistake and and resulted in in brundlefly i mean to a scientist thinking and especially since he's he's not he's not thinking clearly at this point but he's still thinking like a scientist this is this is groundbreaking this is a new species i'm a new species so i yeah i could see that from that angle well the thing is is that you see it earlier that when she is emotionally uninvested in the outcome of the research, she understands the scientific documentation process. Right. Um, she doesn't understand it later because, you know, she is now emotionally entangled in what is going on with Seth. Right. But, you know, when they turn the baboon inside out, she turns the camera on Seth and she's like, well, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, thinking fuck <laughs> you know like <laughs> which is one of the greatest lines in movie history uh mm-hmm. and perfectly delivered at that moment because you're waiting for him to say something profound and that's right. what he comes up with which is exactly what you would be thinking at that moment you know right you think you're gonna have a breakthrough and <laughs> that's what you get and of course that's what you're gonna be thinking but she understands in that moment Yes, that's what you you need to learn to talk to the camera because this is an important scientific breakthrough. And as we work through it, we will need to document all of it, success and failure. But it also plays into early movie sets, social awkwardness. Right. Well, yes, but but in in going back to Brundlefly. Brundlefly is a failure of the initial experiment. The initial experiment is create a teleportation device that can move people from place to place without the need for a car or an airplane or a boat or whatever. Brundlefly is a massive failure for the initial experiment. Right. But even so, documenting that teaches us a lot. It teaches us about the creation of a new species. It teaches us about the potential for DNA fusion. It teaches us about, you know, recombinant DNA and how it works. And it teaches us about, you know, scientifically speaking, Seth is correct, even in his adult state. Right. She can't see that because of, you know, the way her emotions are playing into it, of course. But he's not wrong. I mean, he's an asshole, but he's not wrong. And it is interesting 
that it is both a fascinating act of narcissism and also a fascinating act of science at the same time. Right. Yeah. I absolutely love Ronnie's arc from the moment that, I mean, I love Ronnie's arc throughout the movie, you know, but Mm -hmm. as she realizes, you know, what's going on with Seth and then she gets that whammy of, and now you're pregnant. Right. And she realizes that, you know, they don't explicitly say it in the movie, but from her reaction, she realizes that potentially from how far along she is, there is a possibility that it is Brundlefly's baby and not Seth's baby. Right. Because they, I mean, they, they, they go at it for a while after the, te- after the first teleportation. Right. Well, yeah, and and the thing is, is that there's, it's never an exact science unless you're, you know, doing some sort of IVF or something. So her her reaction being, well, when exactly, you know, in the process did this happen? Right. And of course, Seth doesn't know either. So when he finds out, he begs her. To keep the baby because it might be the only bit of his humanity left. If it's just Seth's child, then it is the only bit of just Seth that still exists. But of course, Ronnie knows that there is an equally good possibility that it is Brundlefly's child. Are we right. counting Fly 2 as canon here? Because then we find out the answer. <laughs> well, right. I mean, we're talking about just what she knows at the moment. Right. I mean, it, definitely Fly 2 says that it is definitely Brundlefly's child. Right. But Cronenberg, here's the, here's the fascinating thing about that. Cronenberg wrote this film to never have a sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he never wanted this film to have a sequel. He never wanted any of his films to have sequels. Cronenberg uh, is very anti-sequel mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. He says right. that he writes his films to have definitive endings, as in he wants them to be standalones. And you can see that here. I mean, this clearly yeah. ends where he wants it to end. I mean, yeah, it, but you know, now we're in the age of Hollywood where it's all about franchises, right? Fra- you know, sequels, reboots, remakes, because they, to according to the data, that's what sells. So, a director like Cronenberg probably would not be as successful in modern Hollywood as he would have been in that point in Hollywood. Right. Well, I mean, you say modern Hollywood, but I mean, David Cronenberg's most recent film came out this year. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but I think he already made a name for himself. If someone if David Cronenberg was starting his career today in current state Hollywood, yeah. would he be able to do that? Probably not. That's it, also true, but I mean, there there are still some directors who are you know, in that same kind of vein. But the I mean, thing is, is that 
Cronenberg was never the most box office smash director. I'd put him with like David Lynch in kind of the same thing. The, yeah. the more of the uh, auteur kind of films, not necessarily mainstream. And a lot, a lot of his films have become cult films. Uh, mainly, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he wasn't afraid of turning people off or, or not being popular or not, you know, being mainstream. I, I never got that vibe from Cronenberg, honestly. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this and the Dead Zone are probably his two most mainstream popular films. Right. As in like that, that just the average moviegoer has probably heard of. And potentially Scanners, too, but yeah. I mean, maybe Scanners, but I think most people these days would know that more as a GIF. Right. Yeah. You know, as in, like, it's kind of disconnected of they've seen that image of the exploding head rather than they know where it comes from. That's true. I can Um, see that. But, you know, I'm I'm not sure a lot of people really understand, like, you know, where where that comes from, you know. But the thing is, is that, you know, her, Ronnie trying to decide, like, do I, do I, she has that brief moment, but she very quickly makes up her mind that even if there is the most infinitesimal chance that this could be Brundlefly's kid. Right. You know, that. That is her body horror. Right. There are a lot of movies about the body horror aspects of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And the the movie doesn't really, you know, this movie doesn't really get into them except for just kind of in the abstract. Um, Outside of the the nightmare not really you know well but even in the nightmare it's just very quick you don't really see like her body being pregnant or anything you know it's just kind of that that one brief brief shot but you know it's just kind of all in her head of what could happen you know um it's a very kind of imagined state rather than her actually having to go through it just the the very idea idea of she might have to carry a child that is not entirely human right um in a very almost kind of rosemary's baby kind of way that that is its own kind of horror for her that is sort of briefly lived in this film you know like we said if if you want to take the sequel into account um you can but in this film, you know, she's she's living with it. You you would assume the way this movie ends that right after it fades to black, she's heading immediately back to the clinic. <laughs> yeah. Um because that's what this movie leads you to believe. Right. That at, as soon as the final confrontation with Brundlefly is over, Stathis is going to the ER to you know get his wounds treated too and she is immediately right. finding the nearest clinic and being like no, oh yeah yeah, yeah this definitely. is this you know, this nightmare has to to end well and that's where there's definitely a big shift too um with seth because 
he's 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 only thinking of him and his legacy, I guess you could say, because um, you know he wants her initially, of course, to carry the baby because he feels like that's all that's left of him. That's his humanity is fading, and that might be the only thing that's left at that point. So but he's also, not even considering her fears there. Here's the question. When he first hears about the baby, is he thinking about his legacy of that could be the last vestiges of Seth? Or is he thinking, if you give birth to that baby, I have pure Brundle DNA to use? I mean, that's a good point. It's a good point. I've always interpreted it the first way myself that it was, you know, there was a part of him that was trying to cling on to whatever he could because he knew that there was no turning back. He was becoming the Brundlefly. Um, he was losing all vestiges of, of humanity, so that would be it. But we've also talked about his more narcissistic, uh, um, scientific side, I guess, or uh, um, the, the, the parts of him that are still thinking that way. And I could see him like, okay, well, there's, there's, there's pure DNA that could be used here. Yeah, I mean, he did. He does try early on. He does try to reverse the the process. Um, so maybe and, that's something he's considering. And then, you know, he he tries to fuse them. You know, that's his his last gambit. Right. Is, to fuse them all know, together. Let's yeah. be the perfect pure family. We'll be you right. know the three of us in in one. Um, that's which, a red flag right there. I can see her being concerned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if if she is carrying his child and it's Seth's child and there's no fly DNA in there, then not only does he have a pure human DNA pattern, but he's got two pure human DNA patterns, one of which contains his original DNA. Right. And so... The thought that it might be, I mean, still, you know, even if it's Brundlefly's kid, it's still two DNA patterns, which is like, you know, human and a half going in. So, you know, still he's got mostly human DNA to add to the mix still a good chance to take from his you know coin flip kind of situation right he either gets a really good genetic match and he doesn't have to wait or he gets a mostly good genetic match yeah and maybe it's not perfect takes a gamble on it right yeah either way he's gonna have his or part of his humanity back right yeah um, so he's grasping at that. He's grasping on what little yeah. the humanity he might be but able I, to gain. I think by have. the time he gets her back to the apartment, he realizes that the transformation is going too fast and he cannot wait for her to have the child. Right. We literally see it as his skin is shedding and we see the, you know, any 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 signal any signal of his humanity is gone. He's just right. This human-sized wingless fly. Well, I mean, when when he when he decides to put her in the pod, because that's when he starts, you know, dragging her towards, and she, you know, takes a swing at him, and that's when the final transformation begins. Right. Um, but 
I think when he first comes to get her from the clinic, he's sincere in wanting to just try to get her to keep the kid. Right. But whether or not he's trying to get her to keep the kid because he's like, you know, hey, I'm going to be a fly soon and that's going to be the last of human me. Or whether he's like, well, if I can keep enough of my brain together long enough for her to have the kid, I can just take the kid and that'll be a really good source of Brundle DNA. I've never been able to kind of figure out which way I want to go on that. Right. But I think by the time he gets her back to the apartment and is like, you know, I think after the attack and stuff, when he's like, yeah, I'm just disintegrating a dude's limbs. I think he finally realizes like, yeah, I'm too far gone. If I'm going to retain any part of my human brain. Well, he doesn't, and he doesn't kill him. So there's like, there's a bit of control there, I think, but you know, cause he could, he could have killed Stathis. Well, he was gonna, and the only thing that stopped him was her. So I think he was like, well, maybe if I've got like her brain. Yeah. Used in here too, I'll get some morality back. That might be nice. So I, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, that that entire Brundle fly look that you know, the part animatronic, part guy in a suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole transformation of the the skin peeling off, and and then it's just this this human sized fly. I love the way it looks. I love the way it moves. It's, even even now, it still holds up, at least to me. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. I find it super interesting that I feel more empathy for fully transformed Brundlefly than I do for Seth at the beginning of the transformation. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I'm the only one who does. To me, I mean, not when he's not when he's trying to dissolve people or fuse his girlfriend into a single creature. I mean, that's well, <laughs> honestly, kind of yeah, because. Because to me, once he's that far gone, I'm almost like he cannot help what he is any longer. And that makes sense. At the beginning of the movie, when he's like dragging the chick from the bar in and being like, hey, stop fighting me. You're really going to like it. I thought you were cool. Get in the pod. Right. He's still like 95% human at that point. So he's still Seth driven is what you're thinking. He's still Seth at that point with like a little bit of fly. Whereas at the end, he's becoming all fly. So he's just basically in control. The the, the instincts of the fly are controlling him at that point. Yeah. And, and like at that point, I'm like, OK, so that's, you know. So who do you think? Who do we think? Because that's a really good point. Who do we think ask to have the trigger pulled? Is that a bit of Seth or is that the fly? Seth. I think that, that was the, the bit final okay. bit of of Seth. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think there's that little bit there that finally realizes no, this is it. He's in pain. He's he's there's no turning back. You know, I mean, he literally has pieces of metal right, manic- yeah, right, right in his body. I mean, and that, no that last failed attempt when the uh, the process was stopped is basically morphed him beyond any you know, recognition and uh yeah, he's he's just too far gone at that point. And just having the, the, the bits of metal fused with flesh sticking out of that 
He knows he'll never be able to fly a plane, you know, because he's never getting through the detector. So that's, yeah. <laughs> he can't travel. That's out the window. Uh, yeah, he is permanently on the no-fly list at this point. Right, yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, you know, if I can't take a trip, you know, to, to Ireland this summer. I mean, even if there's, like, a cute lady fly at some point, you know, he's he's already ruined it. Right, yeah. 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 He's no longer hot, sexy, brundlefly. He is not at the end. No, I would agree. Yeah. That ending, it's, it's really interesting that even though the two stories diverge, it is fascinating how the ending is almost exactly the same only in the, in, the, in, in the well yeah yeah in the original film it was a, a press this one is a shotgun yeah <laughs> well murica the original was supposed <laughs> to be in like france or something yeah yeah well no the original that's right the original story was french and then the film was set in in canada so right. they could have American actors with French names. Oh, so they that, were just, yeah. they said it in, right. in Quebec. So it was like, that's why they all have French names, <laughs> but speak with American accents. Right. <laughs> like, um, but yeah. So like, you know, the original one was, was French, but like, this is America. So we got to have a gun. Yeah. Um, and, and I just kind of do like how the movie just ends right there. Like there's no, mm-hmm. There's no prologue. There's no happily ever after. No, it just. Yeah, ends. I don't think they needed it here. I think yeah. that was fine because it was basically the resolution, you know. And that's very Cronenberg too, because like we said, he's not thinking sequel. He's not thinking follow up. This, this is the end of the story. Yeah, I mean, there's no like you know red and blue lights as the cops pull up or any. I mean, it right. just like. <laughs> She pulls the trigger and falls to her knees, and, th- and we that's it, yeah. hard cut to black. I mean, there's this is a movie that begins harshly and ends harshly. Right. I mean, it begins with Jeff Goldblum being like, "So I'm about to change the world with a scientific invention." You're like, "What? You, who are you? Why are you talking <laughs> to me? Where are we?" <laughs> like, <laughs> this movie does not like ease you into the story. Jeff Goldblum is just like, hey, you want to come see my telepod? And you're like, what? And you're like, well, you're Jeff Goldblum, so I'm not going to say no. like, you're Jeff Goldblum. I'll go anywhere you want. I mean, whatever. (laughs) Telepod, you you say? All right. (laughs) You going to play the piano for me? I'll go. I'll Mm. go. We're down. Piano on a telepod. That sounds perfect. We would get the sequel, 1989's The Fly 2, directed by Chris Chris Wallace, who what was responsible for these special effects in, in, in this film. Yeah, the Academy Award, uh, Award winner. Yeah. yeah. But there were other attempts to to revitalize the franchise after The Fly 2. Apparently there was a... They were going to pull a Halloween and do a sequel with Gina Davis that just ignored The Fly 2. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so... Appara- appara- they were going to do the timeline switch? Yeah. I, mean, so- I, I, I didn't know about that, yeah. So apparently they were going to do, it was called Flies, and Gina Davids ends up having twins. Oh, they were going to try the aliens trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a, re- a planned remake in 20, uh, uh, 2003, which never happened. Cronenberg himself was going to do some sort of follow-up in, in 2009, but uh, him and, and, and 20th Century Fox could not come into an agreement on the budget. Right. Never happened. Not to say that, but now that the franchise is in the hands of Disney, 
Who knows? True. Yeah. I mean, Disney just released the reboot of Hellraiser. Yeah. So who knows? That's that's true. That's a very good point. Yeah. I I hate to say it, but come on, you know that the reason the Fly Two failed is because it didn't have Jeff Goldblum. Technically, it did. It, it did. It did I in mean, a flashback. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Let's wrap it up by asking the question: Does the Fly? 1986 have the magic as our guest jeff i will ask you that question does the fly have the magic does it have the magic um absolutely um i would the fly is one of my all-time favorite movies uh horror otherwise um i think it's uh a, a brilliantly performed and executed film um just the great cronenberg uh the body horror the um like we said, the the character arc that he goes through, I think the ending is perfect. I don't, I don't, I can't see it being any other way. An allegory for uh, for for illness and getting old. I just, I think it's it's that perfect '80s horror movie. Um, so absolutely. Kiki. Yes, haven't haven't you been listening? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Oh, agree. I forgot to mention it's got Jeff Goldblum, but I figure she'll do it. Yeah. No. I mean... <laughs> It's a Jeff Goldblum movie. It's got lots of Jeff Goldblum. It's got it's got a whole lot of Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> almost all of Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Almost yes. almost entirely <clears throat> Jeff Goldblum. Uh, no, I mean it it really is. I mean even even you know besides the the silliness of that, it it really is kind of a, a fascinating existential piece of like Jeff said you know kind of humanity and disease or aging or you know just what happens when your your body isn't what you think it is hard relate um, (laughs) with that it's it's so it's so different from the source material and I I hate to say it but I kind I kind of like the changes better I'm going to agree with you. I think it is. It's a vast improvement over the original film. And the original film was a classic. But the fact that it goes mm. so far into the body horror, it goes so far into just this, 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 you know, brilliant science, scientist just, just devolves in more ways than one to this very brutal beast almost. And yeah, it's still one of my favorite movies. Still one of my favorite '80s movies. Still one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a classic. And it, it, it's on HBO Max for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the good old HBO Max for now. Now would be a good time to start considering that physical copy. If <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? But by by this point next year, it might be on Hulu. Or whatever yeah. Disney Plus decides to merge all of that into. It is uh, one more note about the fly too. It always just it, it it always just makes me laugh that you know the offspring of Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis ended up looking like Eric Stoltz. <laughs> uh, Jeff, as a first time guest, you do have one request, and uh, we will do that request in a future episode. Jeff, what is your request? 
Um, my request is going to be one of my top five favorite films of all time. It's a it's a newer one. It is of course horror. It is it is owned by Fox, so it covers all that criteria. And I'm going to pick 28 Days Later. Ooh, that's we haven't done the zombies yet, so that's a that's that that's going to be and, an, it's and time. Fast it's time. zombies too. And fast yeah. zombies. My two favorite movies have fast zombies. So, <laughs> so uh, and uh, Jeff, is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Sure. Um, you can find my uh, my YouTube channel, which has uh, all my music, uh, horror and non-horror. Uh, that's where I post uh, uh, videos uh, just in general and some produced stuff. It's, that's Jeff Whitmire 47. Um, I do have a Bandcamp page that I'm working on updating. It's jeffwhitmire.bandcamp.com. Keep an eye on that because I am working on a horror movie album called Stabby Road. Um, hopefully going to be done very soon with that uh and uh you can follow me on twitter which is at jeff whitmire one i'm very active on twitter so we are moving away from the spooky season getting into november no uh november will be for us disaster month as we are doing an entire month of disaster movies it's just gonna be two whole months of just 20th century fox movies at this point (laughs) No, it makes some sense. Of them, that, some of them will not be. It, it turns out that uh, Disney got really into the disaster craze at one point. So, yeah. It does kind of make sense to put the disaster month the same month as the election. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we are kicking off disaster month with the Poseidon Adventure from 1972. Nice. I don't know if I ever watched this movie the whole way, so it's going to be a very interesting mm. watch. This was uh, one of my favorite movies as a kid. It was yes, on I love all the this time in, in my house. So, yeah. So, uh, come back next week for the start of Disaster Month with the Poseidon Adventure. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.